to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Tonight we continue in our series on answering tough questions. And we started a topic last week that we didn't finish, so we're going to finish it tonight. And the topic is, why does God allow evil? Okay, A couple weeks ago, we talked about suffering. Why do bad things happen to bad uh, to good people? Um, another thing we didn't do is, why do good things happen to bad people? But anyway, <laughs> why? And, and the whole idea of suffering, and why does God even allow evil? Why does God even allow suffering? And we decided to deal with it. Um, by answering some sub-questions. But the issue, the basic issue, and I'm going to review what we talked about last week, so we're going to zip through it quick, okay? And if you weren't here last week, you can go back and listen to it online to get all the details. But the issue is this, if God is all good and all powerful, why is there evil in the world? Okay? Because if God is truly all good, he wouldn't want anybody to suffer, he wouldn't want anything bad, he wouldn't want evil. But yet there is. But yet the Bible says God's all-powerful. So if God really didn't want it to be there and he was all-powerful, then he could make it not be there. But it is there. So is he not all-powerful? Or is it that he could stop it, but he chooses not to, and therefore he's not all-good? And this is an important question for unbelievers because that's one of the main issues that keeps people from believing in the God that we see uh, revealed in God in His Word that He is all powerful and He is all loving and He is all good. If that's the case, why is there evil in the world? And even for believers, as we wrestle with this, it can cause us to maybe have doubt, questions. Um, if we're one of the ones that's battling the suffering and the evil, you know, maybe even some anger and frustration, um, and it very possibly could have led some people to lose their faith because they just saw this unimaginable evil. It's like I. I just don't know if I can believe in a God like that. So it's very, very important. So we dealt with several sub-questions, and we're going to finish it up tonight. The first one is this, why did God create evil in this world? And that's a trick question, because the answer is he didn't. God did not create evil in this world. God created everything good. But sin, suffering, and death are a result of the fall of man. All right. So the possibility was there, but God did not create it. It's because of the choices of Adam and Eve and all the choices that we've made since to choose evil, to choose wrong, to choose sin, to choose things that bring suffering to ourselves and to others, whether we do it in a sinful act or whether we did it because of stupidity. I like to say most suffering in the world, not all of it, you've got natural disasters, but most suffering in the world is caused by sin or stupidity, mine or yours or somebody's, okay? All right, so God did not create evil in this world. The second question we dealt with is, why did God give mankind the opportunity to choose evil? Now, we had a bit of a discussion last week about the wording of that question because it threw some people off, and I understand that. So I reworded it for those of you that struggle with the wording of that because there was this sense that if you word it that way, that God gave them the opportunity to choose evil, that God is behind it. Forget all that. So if I ever teach this again, the wording of the question will be this. Why did God create mankind with the ability to choose evil? I don't think we can disagree with that. And that is what I meant to communicate by the question. Why did God create mankind with the ability to choose evil? And it's because he wanted a real relationship, a loving relationship. 
You know, in any true, real, loving relationship, there has to be that ability to choose. You know, if you don't have a choice whether or not to love somebody, it's not really love. It's not really a relationship. On your note sheet, I had this. Freedom to choose to return love or not to return it is the foundation for a quality relationship. And without free will, we would be less than human. There has to be that ability to choose. The third question is, if that's the case, then why did God create this world knowing that evil would result? Because God knew it ahead of time. That's another characteristic of God. We believe he knows all things. He knows what's going to happen. If he knew that creating this world in such a way that human beings would have the ability to choose evil and that they would choose evil, then why did he go through with the plan? And the answer on your note sheet is that God must have believed the good that would result from creation was worth putting up with the evil. All of the millions and probably billions of people throughout history who would choose to have a relationship with God for all eternity... Because of those relationships between them and God, God and them, and us and each other, it was worth having to put up with the evil for the short period of time that we're all on earth. I know it doesn't seem short, but when we get 100,000 years down the road in eternity, we'll look back to the history of earth and say, oh, that was such a short period of time. You know? All right. And then number four, if that's the case, then why hasn't God put an end to evil? The only way God could put an end to evil, at least in my mind, one of two ways. Either to remove all evil from the world, God would have to wipe out the human race, or take away the free will. And then we get back to the whole question of why God created it to begin with. Because he wants these relationships, all right? And the thing is, God is going to put an end to evil, all right? And that's what we ended on last week. Why has God not done it yet? This is your chance to respond. Why has God not yet put an end to evil? Lisa. There's still more people to be saved. saved. That's right. He's waiting on us. And he waited as long as he has for us. You know, if we have a relationship with him, you know, if he had put an end to it um, 70 years ago, I wouldn't even exist. You know, we all have different timings of when we surrendered our lives to Christ or when we were born or, or whatever. And uh, he's waiting for us, and he's still waiting for others. And we mentioned that each of us probably have a whole list of loved ones, family members, friends, maybe even some enemies. It's like, it'd be great if they got saved. Don't want to see them spending the eternity without God. And he's waiting for them. But there will come a time, and God knows when it is. And it will be an, uh, the end. And um, the great white throne judgment, and those who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior will go to heaven and spend eternity with God, and those who do not will not. And so God is waiting, okay? And that's where we ended last week. Now, the next question, all that's good and well, but why doesn't God at least stop some of the evil? At least some of it. I mean, granted, we don't want him to shut it down right now. we got loved ones that we want to come to know Jesus. You know, we don't want our free will taken away. But man, you look at some of the evil that is out there, it is horrific. Why doesn't he at least stop some of it? Jose's got something he's eager to share. I have a question. Yo, you have a question? Yeah, I thought you had an answer. It has to go with that, okay, go ahead. That's true. A lot of people don't want to admit that a lot of the evil that's out there is because of our own fault. There's, there's a proverb, and I can't remember exactly where it's at. It's either Proverbs 18 or 19. One of the verses that to paraphrase it, it basically says, um, 
people get themselves into all kinds of trouble when they blame God. That's a paraphrase of it, but that, that certainly is true, isn't it? Yeah. Let me read you a quote. Okay. It says, there is no recorded instance where the uplifted hand of murder has been paralyzed. No truthful account in all the literature of the world of the innocent child being shielded by God. Thousands of crimes are being committed every day. Men are at this moment lying in wait for their human prey. Wives are whipped and crushed, driven to insanity and death. Little children begging for mercy, lifting imploring tear-filled eyes to the brutal faces of fathers and mothers. Sweet girls are deceived, lured, lured, and outraged. But God has no time to prevent these things. No time to defend the good and protect the pure. He's too busy numbering hares and watching sparrows. That's got a humorous thing on the end, but it's, 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 it's sad. It's serious. This is someone who doesn't believe in God. They say, you know, the Bible says that God really cares. He knows all the hairs on your head. He, he knows all the sparrows. But why can't he stop some of the evil? You know, I don't know if any of you, um, chances are, I think some of you have, have seen the movie uh, The Sound of Freedom. It came out on July 4th weekend. Uh, very, very good movie. It's based on a true story of an ex, uh, used to be CIA uh, Homeland Security guy who used to uh, fight child pornography. That was his job. And he left that because he wanted to rescue children who had been abducted and sold into human sexual slavery. Okay? If you get a chance to watch it, go watch it. It'll yank your heart out because it's all based on truth and it's all based on fact. And uh, one of the statistics is that the United States is the number one market for pornography and child and all ages sex slavery. Okay? We like to think it happened in other places in the world, but the number one destination of children and such kidnapped around the world is right here in the United States. Horrific things that happen. It's like, why doesn't God at least stop some of that? How would you answer that? What'd you say, Verissa? God is doing things in his own time, and that certainly is true. Okay? But let me ask you a question. I'll come right to you, Carlton. Let me ask you a question. If you saw a child about to get hit by a bus, would you do something about it? Yeah. So why doesn't God? And why doesn't he in things that are much more significant? Carlton, go ahead. That's a very good point, Carlton. In fact, I've got that in my notes. Did you read my notes? <laughs> no, of course not. All right. Here's the thing. Uh, first thing on your note sheet, God does stop or limit much that is evil. All right. And I think that the quote that I read to you is not totally true. There have been many people that have given testimony to something terrible getting ready to happen that someone else is going to cause, and it was stopped. Now, that doesn't negate the fact that still horrible things still do happen. God does not stop all of them. But I believe that when we get to heaven, if God allows us to see, we will see so much evil that God truly did stop. Okay, but again, why doesn't he intervene more than he does? Any thoughts? Yes, Candace. I think that that is a tremendous, tremendous point. I need to make it a point on here. 
And we're going to get to it before we get to the end. But how does God primarily work in the world? I mean, he can do anything he wants, and he does. But he works through his people. You know, uh, I think when we get to heaven, we also may be ashamed when we see how much evil could have been avoided if God's people would have just stepped up to the plate and done something about it. Very, very good point. Very, very good point. Anything else? Yeah, Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and not just in the area of evil, but suffering too. You know, um, I don't know all the statistics. I'm sure we could find them if we did a search. But all the hunger that's in the world and all of the illness and such that's preventable and treatable that goes unprevented and untreated because those places in the world, and maybe even some of the United States, they don't have the resources. But if the people that had the resources, whether in the United States or anywhere else, would actually get involved and give toward those, it could alleviate so much, you know? And, and it's easy to look at that as an overwhelming thing. It's like, oh my goodness, and we feel condemned, we feel overwhelmed. But the thing is, we can become just like deers in the headlights, we get frozen. But that's something that each and every one of us has to deal with, you know? God has entrusted us with what we have. Our strength, our knowledge, our wisdom, our resources, our finances, our time, our gifts, our talents... Are we using them just for ourselves or for whatever God wants us to do? And each of us as individuals and as couples and families need to pray, God, is there something more I should be doing with my resources? And I'm not just talking about money, but it includes that to spread the gospel, which is a great force for good, but also to limit and hinder evil, to provide for other people's needs and that kind of stuff. That's why a lot of people volunteer their time to work with homeless shelters, uh, try to touch homeless people, to, you know, all kinds of, th- you know, volunteer in hospitals. There's a lot of ways people can get involved. And again, my comments are not to make anybody feel guilty, but for all of us to realize, we need to think about what we can do. Norris. Yes, prayer. We cannot minimize the effect of prayer. You know, prayer or not prayer. You know, an example I like to use is, um, every November, I think it's the first Sunday of November, is called the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Okay? And we haven't done it for a couple of years because COVID got us out of the habit. We used to have a prayer meeting for the persecuted church. But there's an organization that puts out a list every year of the top 50 nations um, that persecute believers in order of their intensity. And North Korea has been on number one forever. Okay? And so I started a habit years ago. I've got that listing in my Bible app. And so every day, just like I pray for one missionary every day, I pray for one of those countries and the believers. Why do I do that? Because I believe it makes a difference, you know? And so that's something very, very important. And, and, and I'm going to say something else, but this is not to negate what you said, Norris, because prayer is significant. But if we're driving down the road and God lays on our heart somebody that's in need and we just start praying for them, but we have the capacity to do something about it too, we need to be open to say, okay, God, I'm praying for them, but are you wanting to use me in this situation? You know, a good example, uh, which I have very certain feelings about for myself, is you know, you drive around, you see somebody on the corner, and they're saying, homeless or whatever, can you give anything? I always pray for them, but I never give them anything. Now, that sounds kind of heartless. It's not because I'm not willing, but because I've talked to people in the police department and others and say, most all of those are scam artists. Not all of them. And there are resources available to them if they're willing to take advantage of them. So I choose to invest whatever I have in different areas, and I do that. So I do pray for them, but I don't 
give to them. Now, if you have a different thing, I know some people I lovingly, greatly respect that they say if they've got money in their pocket, they're going to give something to those people on the corners. And that's fine. you got to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, are we willing to do something? Okay. So these are all great comments. And in fact, that's one of the last points I'm going to make is how should we respond to evil? We need to do what we can. But still, why doesn't God do more? And yes, John. That's true. John's point, I'll repeat it and summarize it for the recording, is that God does. You know, when you look at God's principles in his word, if I could add to what you said, he talks about how he establishes forms of authority, government and those used by government to enforce it, police departments, all that kind of stuff, and that therefore people should obey. They should do what's right, okay? Um, but they don't, okay? So following God's principles, if people would just do that, that would help a lot, and so, and, you know, he calls people to be doctors and nurses and people to help. You know, all these things that we just talked about, ways that we can be involved. But again, it still comes down, but still, even if everybody did that, why doesn't God do more? Now, let me go ahead and go on or we'll never get through the rest of the lesson here. But it comes down to the issue of free will again. Okay? If God would deliberately choose to stop something, he'd have to limit somebody's free will. And I'm not saying he never does that. He does. And where do you draw the line? And where do you draw the line? Okay. Uh, let's use a simple example that doesn't involve as much horror to it. But if we'd say, oh, it'd be absolutely terrible if somebody was able to rob a bank of a million dollars and it wipes out people's savings. I mean, I know we got insurance and all that kind of stuff. We say, okay, well, God should stop that. Well, what if it's not a million? What if it's 999,999? Well, no, that's close enough. God should stop. But where do you stop? Do you stop at 900,000? Do you stop at 800,000? Do you stop at seven? Where does it become a point? Because if God stops at anywhere, he's stopping somebody's free will. And it usually comes down to as long as it doesn't affect me, right? Okay. But, but the point is, is that, um, how would God determine where to draw the line? What would he hinder? What would he not? All right. If he stopped all, then we got that situation where we don't have free will anymore. But there has to be free will. So at what point does he stop it? It's sort of like when you're dealing with your kids and they start doing things wrong. And at what point do you step in? You know, and just anyway, Verissa, you had your hand up. What were you going to say, Verissa? Just a second, Carlton. Verissa, you had your hand up. Mm-hmm. And we're going to come back to that point, too. Mm -hmm. That's right. You know, if you talk about God cutting off things that are going to be evil, why didn't he stop them from crucifying Jesus? I know. He chose not to do it, and we know why, right? If he didn't, we'd all be in trouble. And so, yeah, exactly. Carlton, you had your hand up. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. He allows consequences. That's right. And sometimes the consequences not only just hurt the person who does it, but other people around them. You know, it goes back to a question we asked last week. How would you like to be told what to do and how to do it and be forced to do it against your will? No. That's what slavery is all about, right? And for God to deliberately, without any kind of pre-planned or forethought, uh, just stopping people from doing things, that's basically what happens. All right, He eliminates free will. Yeah, Chris, go ahead and make your comment, and then we'll go on. We're all capable of anything. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is that we find in Scripture that God is committed to justice. 
and fairness, and he's not arbitrary. How would you like to serve a God who treats some people better than others and punishes some people more than others for no reason at all just because he wanted to? That's really what it would come down to if he chooses to stop this and not stop that, stop this and not stop that for some arbitrary reason. On your note sheet, the next thing I have is because he is just, God will not arbitrarily stop one evil without stopping all. Now, the key word there is arbitrarily. We've all said we've seen it happen and we believe that it's a lot more than we see and that God does stop some evil. What are some things that will cause God to stop something that is evil? Prayer goes back to what Nora said, okay? But specifically, as Sharon said, inviting him into our lives so that we can work with him and and he can move, move us to do things that might help inhibit evil. But prayer, you know, our prayers make a difference. There are certainly, you know, God can do whatever he wants anytime he wants, but he has so set up this world that there are certain things that he only does in response to prayer, okay? So it's important that we pray about this. Were you going to say something, John? No, Okay, all right. Prayer, and then also God does have a divine plan, and nothing is going to stop that plan. And he'll stop whatever he's got to stop, you know. I mean, he did put an end to evil, for the most part, at one time in history, when Noah and the flood and all that kind of stuff, all right? And he will again, he will again. So on your note sheet, the last thing there is God is working toward a complete restoration of relationship with him and a final complete removal of evil while at the same time preserving free will. It's hard for us to understand. God, why do you still allow so much? But again, he has to if we're still going to have free will. But yet he will intervene on behalf of his people as they pray. Does that mean that we always get exactly what we pray for? No. Sometimes we have to believe that God's got a bigger plan. And that even though he doesn't want evil, even though he didn't create evil, he can allow it, and he can bring good out of it. And the example that's the biggest example is one we already talked about is Jesus' death on the cross. The Probably the most evil thing ever. It is the most evil thing to have ever happened. God himself rejected by his creation and put to death a horrible death. But yet that was all part of God's plan, and it brought about a good result. The last question that we're going to deal with before we get into a different topic here. What about all the evil that has been done in God's name? That's a big question people bring up. What's some of the examples they give? What are some examples of evil that has been done in God's name? The Crusades. Everybody know what the Crusades are? The church um, raising up armies, usually in the Middle Ages, to go reconquer the Promised Land because it was under Muslim domination, and, uh, boy, it's a terrible time in history, but you'd hear about these armies traveling across Europe to get there, and they ran out of supplies, so they'd kill people along the way and steal stuff so they could get to the promised land and reclaim it for God, you know, and then kill all the people there to try to reclaim it, and there was wars back and forth and back and forth between the Christians and the Muslims and people dying right and left and all that kind of stuff. Yes. What? Oh, yeah, and their uniforms with the big cross and flags and probably singing onward Christian soldiers as they went. We can kind of chuckle, but it's horrific. What are some other examples that are given of evil that's done in God's name? John. Yeah, and not just that particular Bible, but in the early part of the history of our nation, there were plenty of people that could prove 
quote, could prove from the Bible that slavery was a good thing, that was the right thing, and that um, black people or people of other ethnicities were a lower form of humanity or whatever, and so it was totally justified. That's actually one of the questions that we're going to be dealing with in this series is why is it that there's so much slavery in the Bible and you don't hear... There's a little bit, but you don't hear a whole lot about that against that. And there's examples of that, and we're going to deal with that question. That one plus polygamy, which is totally different, but, you know, why is there a lot of polygamy in the Bible? You don't hear a lot about that's not right and that whatever, okay? And there's a good answer to that, so don't don't lose your salvation between now and then. Next week we'll talk about the fact that you really shouldn't do that anyway. But anyway, what are some other things, evil, that has been done in God's name? You ever heard of the Spanish Inquisition? Another time during the Middle Ages when the church would capture people, they'd torture them, all kinds of stuff to try to get information from them to supposedly get rid of evil and all that kind of It's like they're doing evil to try to get rid of it. Um, the burning of witches, you know, motivated by people that claim to be Christian. Um, my understanding, I've not studied it in depth, that Adolf Hitler, one of the things that he used was um, the Jews killed Jesus, and so we need to get rid of the Jews. You know, if you want to think about it, much of anti-Semitism down through history, um, not all, but much has been motivated with an appeal to Scripture and what the Jews did to Jesus. So how do you answer that? What about all the evil that's been done in God's name? No answer? Well, I'll give you my answer. It's on your note sheet. Just because people have done evil while claiming to represent God or his church does not mean that God authorized it or condoned it. In fact, they did it in opposition to his will. All these examples we use, they went against Scripture to do all that stuff. God didn't tell them to do it, no matter what they said. Scripture didn't give them support to do it. You know, Jesus talked about loving our enemies. You know, the early disciples, they died for their faith. They didn't kill people. They would rather die than do something that was wrong. All these thousands and thousands of people throughout history that did things in God's name or in the name of the church that caused evil, it was not based on scriptural principle, scriptural instruction, godly instruction, words from God. And you know what? The enemy was able to serve two purposes, cause all that evil and then also cause people to blame God for it and keep people from turning to God. Our enemy is slick. Very slick. I find this interesting. Some have gone so far to say that God is a sadist and loves to see suffering. I think there's a lot of proof in this world that God is not a sadist and that God does not love to see suffering. What would prove that? What would show that? What would demonstrate that? That God really isn't a sadist. That God really doesn't love suffering. Any thoughts? John 3.16. You know, the truths of Scripture of what God has done to eliminate suffering, not just in this world, but in eternity. But also, if God really is all-powerful and he loves suffering, don't you think we'd have a whole lot more of it? Sure. We'd all be miserable all the time. Um, I like this. Here's a quote. Uh, You know, whatever goes on in this world with evil and suffering, God lives by his own rules. I love this quote by a lady named Dorothy Sayers. It says this, For whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death, God had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever the game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. 
He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. In other words, God, Jesus in the flesh, went through the suffering and the evil that we have to go through. Okay. All right. So the last part on the, I have on your notes here, how should we respond to the existence of evil? How should we respond to the existence of evil? Number one, trust that God is doing what he can within his plan and self-imposed restraints to eliminate and limit evil at this time. We may not agree with it. We may say, I would have done something different, but we're not God. Sometimes you got to just look in at what you know to be true from God's word and what you've experienced and just say, God, I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you. Trust that God is doing what he can within his plan and his self-imposed restraints to eliminate and eliminate evil at the same time. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Second thing, know that evil brings grief to God's heart. As much as we would, as much as we hate evil, we hate suffering, we hate seeing what people go through, guarantee you God hates it even more. Psalm 78. 40 says, how often they, this is talking about God's people, rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Ezekiel 33, 11, God is speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, says, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And there's a bunch of times in the prophets where God's people had so rebelliously turned away from him and, and gone and pursued terrible things and God just cries out, come back, come back, come back. Number three, know that God will punish evil justly. Nobody's going to get away with it. They might in this life, but nobody's going to get away with it. Isaiah thirteen eleven: I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Proverbs 11.21, be assured an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Now, if God is truly going to punish all evil, we're in trouble. It's like, no, not me. Why? Because we compare ourselves to other people. Well, I'm not as evil as somebody like Adolf Hitler. I'm not as evil as somebody like Saddam Hussein. I'm not easy evil. But do we have evil in us? And God's word says he will punish all evil. We're in trouble. Are we? Are we not? What did you say, Carlton? But for Christ. Here's the thing. God has already punished all evil through Jesus' death on the cross. And that's why we've got to trust in him for our salvation. And if we do, 
His payment paid the price for our sins, and that's why we will stand before him. We will still have to suffer consequences for certain of our sins in this life and all that kind of stuff because we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that when we do wrong, God doesn't eliminate all the consequences. He's got a good reason for that. But as far as the eternal consequences, they're gone. Jesus paid for it. But Jesus also paid the price for Adolf Hitler's sins, Saddam Hussein's sins. You know, we like to think, oh, there's no way they could ever get to heaven. I don't think they will be there. That's just my opinion. But if they surrender their lives to Christ and put their trust in him before they died, they will be in heaven. We rebel at that thought, but they did so much. But Jesus paid the price. Okay. Jesus paid the price. Those who accept his payment and trust him are free from punishment, but those who reject him will pay for their own sins. If people say, I don't want Jesus paying for my sins, you're going to pay for your own. You're going to pay for your own. Yeah. God will punish evil justly. He already did through Jesus, but if you're not going to accept that, you're going to make your own payment. Number four, understand that God can use evil to bring about good. We've talked about this a lot of times. Okay? God doesn't like evil. He doesn't want evil, but he can use evil. One of my favorite scriptures, I've said this so many times, Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God can use that to comfort us, to draw us closer to him, uh, as I preached recently, to use us to comfort others and strengthen others, to bring us to maturity, train us, to discipline us. He can bring good out of evil. And the fifth one is what we talked about a lot earlier. Do your part to eliminate and limit evil. What would that be? Surrender your life to Christ. You know, live a life of obedience. Make sure you're not causing evil. All right? Choose good over evil. Choose to respond to evil with good. Hinder evil in every way we can. What are some practical ways we can hinder evil? Pray. Pray. Help one another. another. Share. Share. Meet people's needs. Okay. Help people with the consequences of evil. Yeah. How about voting? Be an informed, knowledgeable voter. Okay. What else? Anything else? All kinds of things. Do what we can to promote good. Do what we can to meet the needs of those who are suffering any way we can. Help the needy. Uh, be involved in missions. Feed the hungry. So many different ministry opportunities. Share the gospel with others. Somebody gets saved. That's going to really cut back a lot of evil that they might do in their life, you know, besides the fact that they're saved for all eternity. Okay? Pray. Pray. Okay, that's the last thing on your note sheet. But I came up with one more question that I think would be good for us to brainstorm on real quick, and then we're going to close. In light of all the suffering and the evil that there is, and we just talked about how should we deal with it, how should we treat people who are suffering? What can we do to minister to them? What shouldn't we do? What should we do? When we see people that are suffering, what can we do? We already talked about prayer, a lot about prayer. Okay, do what you can when you can. If there's a way you can help meet their need without enabling, that's a whole other issue. You know, sometimes people are suffering and they brought it on themselves and if we help them, it's just going to let them continue. So we got to pray for wisdom in that. But do what you can to help them. Yeah, you see somebody in need, you have the ability to help, help. Yeah. Okay, show and express compassion. Yeah. Are there certain things we shouldn't do when we see people suffering? Yeah. Like what? 
Make it worse? <laughs> yeah, that may, but what are some things that can make it worse? Judging. Okay, no, no, don't anybody raise their hand? But have you ever seen somebody suffering? He says, well, they're getting what they deserve. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Judging. Looking at someone and saying, well, I wonder what they did. You know, you see the story of Job. His three friends. They came to comfort him at first because they expected him to say, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. Look what's happened. And they're going to be, oh, that's so bad. Let's pray for you. And when he says, I didn't do anything. They're like, wait a minute. You had to have done something. God doesn't do this to people unless they did something. And it's a, it's part of human nature. You see somebody, it's like everything's going wrong. It's like, I wonder what they did. Now, that's true. There are many times people do things and they bring suffering on themselves. But we can't just automatically assume that because somebody's suffering that they must have done something wrong. You know, Jesus dealt with that in John 9, the story of the blind man. And that was a very strong teaching in Judaism at the time is that if somebody was suffering, it's because they sinned. And so God was punishing them. But this is a man that was born blind. And the disciples like, this is an interesting question, Jesus. Who's the one that made the mistake? Who's the one that sinned? Who's the one that caused the problem? This man, how could he have done that? Because it happened since he was born. Was it his parents? Did his parents really sin bad? And that's why he was born blind? And Jesus said it wasn't either one. God allowed it to happen for his purposes. Yeah. Yeah, so don't judge. Don't condemn. You know, and even if you do know that they're suffering because of their own choices, because sometimes we can know, you know, they really made a mess of their finances. And now they're in need and stuff like that. And we got to pray about what can I do to help without enabling and stuff like that. They still don't need our condemnation. They may need our loving instruction on how not to let it happen again and how to get themselves out of the hole. But it's like Pastor Jan preached on Sunday, the woman caught in adultery. Jesus didn't condemn her, but he didn't condone her sin either. He lovingly restored her, gave her instruction, you know. Anything else you can think of that we should do or not do when we see people that are suffering? Yeah, the story of the Good Samaritan, helping as we can. And not making excuses for not helping like the uh, priest did in that story and the Levite, and they just passed by on the other side. They had good reasons to not help. I mean, yeah, but they didn't make the excuses. They didn't use those reasons. They helped. Lisa. Mm-hmm. That's right. There's that old saying that says, there but for the grace of God, go I. We could each be in the same situation, depending. Yeah, Jose. Sure. So if I could take your words, paraphrase, add to it, and stretch it out a little bit. Just live for Jesus. It'll keep you from doing as much evil. <laughs> You'll be an example for others, and other people will know who they can turn to. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had to look at this topic tonight. And Lord, even with all these answers we've discussed, it's still easy to look and say, God, but still, why don't, why don't you do something more? But God, you are and you want to through your people. God, I just pray that we would stop pointing fingers at others and including you, but instead look at our own hearts and say, Lord, am I doing everything I can to stop evil? in whatever ways I can, and to help people that are suffering. And give us wisdom to know how best to do that, Lord. And Father, I thank you that one day there will be no more suffering. There will be no sickness, no sin, all that stuff. We look forward to that on one hand, but on the other hand, Lord, there are still people 
that don't know you, and we want them to know you. So, Lord, may they come to know you. May they surrender their lives to you so they don't have to spend eternity paying for their own sins when Jesus already did it. Help us to be able to communicate that to people in a way that you can use it in their lives, Lord God, to draw them to you. And, Father, we thank you for all the evil that you do stop. Lord, when we get to heaven, we look on our lives, maybe you'll show us many times that we could have been hurt in so many other ways, but you put an end to it. You, 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 you helped somebody else step in or something, Lord, and we were protected. And God, we pray for those who are horribly abused. Lord God, the illustration we use, the people that are stolen, that are kidnapped, that are sold into sex slavery, especially children, and the way, Lord, and not only just that, but the way children are abused and they're, they're, they're innocent, they're, they're helpless, but terrible things happen. God, put an end to it. Hinder it. Stop it, Lord God. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 